We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to... The Buffalo Bills are going to make the playoffs. My entire goal, we'll see about injuries, is to pick Josh Allen and the Bills to make the playoffs. Josh Allen's going to be great. He is going to be Carson Wentz. And I'm telling you something right now. The Bills offseason was tremendous. They got better at wide receiver. They got better on defense, better on the offensive line. I still can't believe that Ed Oliver was there. When you take a look at how he fell in the first round, Brandon being their outstanding GM just scooped him up, perfect fit in Sean McDermott's defense. And they got Cody Ford. Should have been drafted in the first round. He's going to play on the offensive line right away. They improved in every single phase. I think McDermott is a heck of a coach. And trust me, Josh Allen's going to be great. I don't understand the haters. I thought his rookie season was typical of a rookie. There were ups, there were downs, there were injuries. He flashed his athleticism. He is a tremendous athlete. He's very smart. He's got an unbelievable arm. Now it's better all the way around him. I love what the Buffalo Bills did in the offseason. And I'm telling you, don't you dare sleep on my Buffalo Bills. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Adam Schein talking about his love for the Buffalo Bills in 2019. (laughs) Folks, it has been, oh my God, it feels like it's been too long. Here we are, Chris, on the eve of the Hall of Fame game. Football is officially back, and so are weekly podcasts from the Rockpile Report. Fantastic. I'm glad to be back. Weekly shows. Can't wait. <sighs> Weekly until the beginning of May. It's crazy thinking about how much has gone on and how much has changed since the last time real football has been played. I mean, Chris, you've got all kinds of stuff going on on your side of the fence. I know. Uh, I got a new job. I started on Monday. And today, I, I was kind of showed my personality a little bit. 
Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean. So I'm no. assuming it went over like the Hindenburg. No. Well, you, you know, you hear somebody say something and you just get set off. <laughs> like, no, that never happens to me. I mean, I could do it to you right now. In 93, Don Beebe was out of bounds. Yeah, it was you, all right, calm down, calm down. See what I mean? I just say one line, it sets you off. I was like getting handed off from one employee to the other to kind of my first, your first week is, you know, knowing, doing what the company, you know, wants you to do in this order for things. And I was like getting handed off and the person handed me off to another employee said something to that employee about a festival in Lockport. And I just like went off on the North Towns and Lockport. <laughs> and I just bitched up a storm about how trash the North Towns are. And I'm standing in front of like three new employees. One was like, I live in Pendleton. And the other two were like, I live in Lockport. And I was like, <laughs> folks, folks, for those of you who don't live in the area and for those of you who do, there are giant chunks of the North Towns that if I ever win the Powerball, I'm buying it just so I can burn it down. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, and I and like I kept and it would be seen as a favor. I kept it community. I kept it going like throughout the, throughout the day cuz the employee I got handed off to, I eventually found out that she's originally from New Jersey and I just went, "Oh, I get it. That's why you live in Lockport. It's like our <laughs> Hoboken." <laughs> Folks, it really has been crazy, and there have been a lot of changes here that have gone on. And there's so much that's happened, like I said, since the last time real football got played. Looking back at it, Chris, it's kind of crazy. Just in the last few months, we've gotten a chance to think about all the people we've gotten a chance to meet and collaborate with. You know, with the live stream draft show with the guys from Rock Sports Network in the huddle over at 34 Rush, uh, Thurman Sports Bar there. The, the draft show with Nate Geary from WGR 550. The pre-trade potathon happened. The pre-camp show with Lockdown Joe Marino from Lockdown Bills. We got to have lunch with Nick and Nolan, that podcast over there from Buffalo Rumblings. I just went on the Cold Front Report show, their 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 weekly video chat. We even got to have a chance. We went out to dinner, drinks. You know, our our wives and girlfriends. Everybody got together with the guys from over at Cover One and banged up Bills, and even Josh Barnett, the executive sports editor for the Buffalo News. I thought Chris, I thought the I thought you and I both kind of connected with Greg Thompson from Cover One podcast. <laughs> well, I mean, Chris, he has much better hair than you. I don't, He's much no. more personable than anybody. That I, yes, hair. No, no one could touch my hair. His folks, hair is gorgeous and know, luscious. He looks like Travis Bickle. Guys, it's just it's crazy to me that there is a smorgasbord of Bills content out there, and it seems to have just kind of exploded over the course of the last two years. I mean, Bills fans really are spoiled in terms of the quality options that we have at our disposal. And I mean, I, I like the fact that there's not a whole lot of this famine mentality. You know, comedians, professional comedians always talk about it. Famine mentality. When different personalities and different performers believe that it's like a competition for, you know, for popularity. When in reality, everybody should be able to work together and share an audience. I mean, that, that, this fan base is huge. It's crazy. It's been a lot of fun. And I think it's fair to say that while we haven't grown much as people, our social media and the following on this show, it's exploded this offseason. I mean, probably because for the first time in five years, we figured out that it's a good idea to ask people to leave iTunes reviews. Who knew that was a thing? <laughs> Not me. But for all the new eyeballs and ears that are out there that we gained, anybody out there who's looking for poignant insight, that isn't sandwiched in between some th 
thick layers of alcoholism, a little bit of sarcasm, prepare yourselves to be wildly disappointed. So, Chris, raise your glass. To new listeners and old, welcome back. Strap in for another season of Buffalo Bills football with your friends here at the Rock Pile Report. Chris, I'm going to celebrate it. Celebrate weekly podcast. Oh, with the first beer review of the football season. We gotta we gotta have the Ruby Red Kolsch as uh, unofficially sponsored by Nate Geary. Folks, Chris has done some terrible things to me in terms of beers that he suggested I try, and he thinks it's hilarious. And other people seem to get a kick out of me drinking this swill. The last time he gave me a beer, it was a cream ale that was somehow had the consistency of milk, but was well, also sour. It was a lemon strawberry cream ale from. Genesee Brewing Company. I'd shoot whoever created that in the foot and make them walk home. So now, now we got the Kolsch. Hit this me, is the hit me Genesee, some in the glass the there. Genesee Brewing Company's Ruby Red Kolsch. I don't need half of it. Just give me right, a it sip. Pours, it pours nice. It's got a clear color to it. Seems kind of watery almost, but it's got a little bit of head. Oh, that is a strong scent. It's got a scent of that, that is strong. grapefruit. Oh, my God, Chris. I'll fight you. Well, All right, bottoms up. Yeah, cheers. Thanks to Nate Geary for the... Uh, Recommendation on this. All right. It's light on the palate. It's not quite as refreshing as a Montucky cold snack, but it, it's it's like a Coors Light if you skunked it a little bit. I thought I thought that the, the scent, because it's a strong grapefruit scent, would be there on the aftertaste, and it's not. I don't have that. Because you smell it. You smell it. It's strong grapefruit. But then when you have the aftertaste... I don't have that grapefruit taste. This grapefruit taste is sticking to my tongue. Get it. Get it out. Stop it. Finish the can, first of all. Like I will it, not. No. Like it, you finish that can, I'll give you an IPA. Double IPA. What is this, like negotiating with a child at dinner time? It is. That's exactly what this is. <laughs> Parents that listen to this know this. You have to, you have to bargain with your kid. Eat this shit food, and then I'll give you dessert. You finish this ruby red Kolsch, and I will give you a double IPA. It's all of the. It's like the worst part of a of a super super light beer with all of the worst things about grapefruit combined together in one can. Cold, ice cold. This probably isn't. It's drinkable, but good lord, Chris, what did you pay for this? Because whatever it was. Well, it was just one can because I did the the create your own six pack at Wegmans for was it nine ninety nine? And what'd you pay for this? I don't know. I didn't look. Whatever I, it was, it was at least two dollars. I offset too much. the cost by getting five IPAs for you. Oh God, it's done. There you go. I'll Bring reward me a beer. I'll reward you with a with an IPA. <sighs> I don't, it's something that you haven't had, folks. For those of you out there who have not tried this swill, you can choke them down. But anybody who convinces you or tries to convince you that this beer is anything special. Not, you you literally need to judge them as a human being, not just a friend, not just as like, oh, this is a guy who might have questionable taste in beer. You as a human, all right? I judge you. Yes. Yeah, let's, let's get let's get into some football talk here. Let's hit everybody with this week's Bills news update. You hear that, Chris? That's a quality beer being opened up. Over well, you've here. never had it. Five and twenty brewing. It's a double IPA. That is magic. All right. The Buffalo Bills could be blacked out in Buffalo. There's a really odd set of circumstances playing out playing out here. 
that is me as a football fan fairly concerned, and there's a chance that a lot of you listening to this who are out of town, out of the area, out of the country, or someone who hasn't tried to watch that just train wreck of a game show that LeBron James has on CBS, you might not even be aware that this is happening. I didn't even know that existed. Chris, it's horrible. Uh, they, they cast Tim Tebow as the host of a TV show. He's like that. He's like the overenthusiastic high school cheerleader who's not very good at any like like who's like not, a male cheerleader. Yes. You know, my dad was a cheerleader. That explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, folks, something's happening here. Nexstar, the distribution company that oversees CBS broadcasting of all AFC. Think about it. CBS broadcasts. All of the AFC football games. They own that package. CBS Corp and AT&T, which now owns DirecTV, which I happen to have, they've been engaged in a pissing match that's gone on for months over pricing, which has resulted in a CBS programming blackout. Some of the nation's major cities. I mean, Chris, you're you're talking about places like Chicago, Philadelphia, Dallas, San Francisco... All NFC teams. But some (laughs) of the nation's biggest cities have been affected by this. So, when I mean, it's crushing local TV ratings. It's killing people. Local networks are losing their asses off of this. Okay? Now, I personally have been without CBS for over a month. I, I don't really give a shit. I mean, it's summer here in Buffalo. If you're inside watching TV... If you're inside watching TV in the middle of summer here in Buffalo, knowing full well that we only get like three months of tolerable weather to be outside with shorts on, and you're spending it watching regular broadcast TV, I mean, you're a dunce of the highest order, Chris. It's like what having cable and choosing to watch broadcast television is like going to a steakhouse and ordering a fried bologna sandwich. True or false? Or ordering salmon, which is what I would do. That's that's because you are a dunce of the highest order, sir. (laughs) When you dissect the situation, there's three components that I think are really important for everybody out there who's affected to consider. First, there's the pricing discrepancy itself. And when you take all of these things, guys, keep in mind, the NFL is quietly involved in every aspect of this. There's the pricing discrepancy itself. CBS claims that it needs to make more for the retransmission rights. And for those of you who don't know, that's the right to broadcast a terrestrial signal on cable. For two reasons, according to an article that was written by the LA Times. One, because it wants to become less reliant on advertising revenue, which is pretty much in this digital marketing age, Chris. Let's face it, normal TV commercials are kind of devalued in terms of advertising on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram web advertising. So it's not as lucrative as it used to be. And two, because CBS desperately needs more capital because they've got upcoming negotiations with the NFL in regards to their AFC broadcasting rights. ABC and Disney have already announced, I mean, we're talking like a shark smelling blood in the water, that they are willing to make a serious play for either Fox or ABC's broadcast packages if one of them became available. So... With anything, Chris, when you introduce competition to a financial market, the cost goes up, right? It's like a bidding war on a house. Yeah, we'll, we'll be seeing that in a little bit. Uh, I mean, same topic, slightly a little bit different, but when uh, Sunday ticket comes up. Yep. Uh, that's, that's just it. 
I mean, we talk about what, what the NFL makes in TV money every year. You know, people talk about, oh, look at, because they look at the Green Bay Packers books and see the sizable chunk of change that they get f- from the broad, quote unquote broadcasting rights and their share of them. And how it's already at a point that it generates more revenue than ticket sales. That trend is clearly having an impact on the way that these networks have to conduct business and negotiate. It also doesn't help that AT&T and DirecTV are hurting for cash with debts. Think about it. All of the things that they've acquired, they've got over $150 billion in debt. So you've got CBS saying, hey, we need to make more money. And you've got DirecTV and AT&T saying, look, we're, we're already in the red. We're trying to dig out ourselves. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, is this the NFL's fault? No. But this ruthless brand of capitalism that they've had... I mean, Chris, you don't become a $14, $15 billion industry by being nice. You don't. It's cutthroat. And there's a trickle-down effect, not just to the ticket-holding and merchandise-buying population of fans, but also the people watching at home. And the reports coming out of the Wall Street Journal and these other financial magazines that have read about the situation on... They aren't encouraging. It doesn't sound like this situation is going to get resolved anytime soon. So then you take a look at it and you say, okay, what's the impact on those of us who rely on CBS to watch football? I mean, some of us could get a digital antenna and try to pick up the local signal that way. That is possible. I've got one. And, yes, CBS does sell for, I think, $5. They sell the right to stream programming directly from CBS. But that may not get you your local market. So I don't know how that, you know, Chris, I don't know how that's going to pan out. But there will be an impact to the NFL watching community. Chris, I've built a chart for you, as I often like to do. Why don't you describe to the listeners what you're looking at? I see. I see a bunch of charts with city teams, number of AFC teams, first three weeks, I assume, on CBS, mm-hmm. total number of games on CBS. Folks, I've broken down the markets that are affected by this. There are 16 of them. And as I alluded to, L.A., New York, Chicago, Philadelphia, Dallas, San Francisco, Buffalo. (laughs) Buffalo, Miami. There are some of the country's major markets that are affected by this blackout. When you look at the number of games that are set to be disrupted by this, it's incredible. 19 different football teams reside in these cities. And when you look at it, just over the first three weeks alone, that's 17 games. And a total of 104 over the course of the entire season all rely on CBS for, for their broadcasting. If you look at the AFC, it's 48 games just in the AFC East. Chris, so if we were to lose, if CBS couldn't broadcast this for an entire season, that's 48 games just from our division. The Bills have 13 games on CBS. Okay. That am I wrong, or is I mean, Chris? That's a significant impact. It is a huge impact. The one thing that I always I'm a huge nerd about this. Whenever there's a carriage dispute, I'm always it doesn't matter. It could be lifetime. I'm interested in knowing about it. Mm -hmm. When it comes to sports, it blows my mind that whenever I see a sports carriage dispute, it's always within the month of that the that sport begins. I don't get why you would not make your contract end in June so you have July, August to work out a new contract when it gets to this point. It's I, annoying. I don't know. And 
And here's the worst part. It's like I said, there are solutions. You can try to stream. You can try to get a digital antenna if you live here locally. But that doesn't help everyone. What about people like myself who utilize the NFL Sunday ticket? Who knows how that's going to be affected? Will those games still be eligible for broadcast? How would that be carried out? I mean, think about it, Chris. They usually grab the local feed from wherever it's coming in, and that's what gets broadcast on the Sunday ticket. I'm pretty confident if you live in another city you'll be able, and you have ticket, you'll be able to watch the Bills on Sunday ticket. But locally, you cannot because they black out Sunday ticket because it's supposed to be on locally. But then that would mean they'd have to grab it from another market, which is also probably blacked out. That's the problem here, Chris. And the crazy thing is, is that we're sitting here talking about the NFL Sunday ticket. That's what I view to be the third piece to this puzzle. How the Sunday ticket plays into negotiations. Some of you out there may remember that Time Warner, once upon a time, had a similar dispute with CBS. It was acrimonious. There was a lot of fingers being pointed about who couldn't see what because of who. But it's the NFL we're talking about. It's all-encompassing. The two sides dug their heels in, but the start of the NFL regular season created what amounted to an artificial deadline that eventually forced both sides to come together for fear of not just angering their viewers, but also getting one of the biggest and most lucrative sports leagues in the entire world pissed off at them. You don't want that, right? (laughs) It already extorts hundreds of millions of dollars out of these companies a year. Do you want to make them angry? Never. Exactly. So the the NFL was one of the significant reasons CBS and Time Warner came together at the 11th hour. They get that just a mutual desire to get their product in front of people and also to appease the league. But with DirecTV and AT&T, the dynamic is different here. Because you look at the way the situation with Sunday ticket stacks up. AT&T and DirecTV currently hold exclusive rights to the Sunday ticket. They've had it for years. And for that privilege, they pay $1.5 billion, Chris. Billion with a B. It's insanity for the right to be to exclusively broadcast out-of-market games. They're the only ones who can do it. So you can imagine how much they must be making off of that. Or for people like me, they're making off suckers like me who can't cut the cord because I love the Sunday ticket. So... For three months of football, Chris, I stick with DirecTV and pay the pay almost $200 a month for cable. That's Not insane. even internet. Just cable TV. And it goes out when it fucking rains. Do you know how much I rage about DirecTV? Chris, if it rains too hard, I can't watch TV. And at the same time, they have me by the balls because I love the Sunday ticket. It's insane to me. It's somebody who, I don't have cable. I got an antenna in the window, and I have a Roku. It's insane that they don't have NFL doesn't have a like an NHL.tv app or MLB.tv app. Where in America, I could you could buy that and stream it. Why would you if someone's going to pay you one and a half billion dollars to do it? You could easily you take the money and you, you count your money and you let them worry about the logistics. You, you double dip on it, and that's the problem, Chris. Is that I'm part of that group, so I can only imagine how much money they make off people like me. The problem is this: the contract between Directv and the NFL for the Sunday ticket has an opt-out clause that the league that the league can exercise this year, and reports from Forbes as far back as March state that the league is actively looking to exercise that. 
because there's streaming services like that Dazan or Dazen. I think or it's the season. However the fuck you pronounce it. It's stupid. D A Z N. They've gathered cash. They've found high high roller investors. And a lot like Disney and ABC have discussed throwing their hat into the ring in pursuit of a piece of that t- that action. They these companies want what Directv already has, and Directv, in their pursuit of growth, has left themselves and AT and T have left themselves kind of cash cash strapped. So, here's the thing, Chris. When you think about the dynamic that's been built here, if I'm Directv and AT and T, I know exactly how I'd feel. I'd feel like I'm being ripped off on two fronts by the same person. Think about it. They're paying more to this company, the NFL. Well, technically CBS. So they're paying more to CBS because the NFL is squeezing them for higher rates. While also being dumped by the NFL on another front. Or I'm sure what it is is there's going to be a demand made of, hey, that 1.5, make it two or else we'll opt out. Yeah, you can see that. Wouldn't that piss you off a little bit knowing that there's this entity out there that's kind of fucking you over? Yeah, I'd be fucking irritated. Damn irritated. Irritated wouldn't even begin to describe it. And I'll tell you this, it would make me far less willing to negotiate with either party. And certainly less, less willing to take less than what I thought I was entitled to. Because if things do blow up and go sideways and people are pissed off about it, the blowback can be rolled off onto everybody else involved. You can blame CBS. You can blame the NFL for being greedy. They won't have to bear the brunt of this. So whereas in the past, Chris, the start of the NFL season was something to encourage negotiations on things like this, it might actually be a point of contention this time around. And it's crazy to think that we're just a month away from football and Bills fans here in Buffalo and abroad could be left scrambling for options to try and watch the game that got us all here listening to this stupid podcast in the first place. <laughs> Guys, as I have just a hard-on for this story, and obviously it impacts a lot of people, we're going to be keeping tabs on this as it develops. I encourage you guys as listeners, anybody who has new information, anything you come across, let us know. Tweet at us, at Report over on Twitter, or rockpilereport 716 at gmail.com. Chris, what would it be like for you to not be able to watch Bills football? What if you could turn on Fox at noon every Sunday and you could watch football, you just couldn't see the Bills, but you knew a game was going on? That would irritate me, especially if it's a road game. Because home game doesn't bother, doesn't bother me because I'm going to fucking be there. Road game it would. I'd get irritated. Irritated? Yeah. I like that you keep using that word. I, I don't know what word I would use. Um, apoplectic, because um, yeah, I have a bigger vocabulary. I saw your, the look on your face. I have a bigger vocabulary. There. I could see you, like I could just picture you on the phone with customer service about this topic. And that's all I can say about that because I can't go into detail about <laughs> what I think you would say. <laughs> no, Chris, because it wouldn't just be customer service with DirecTV. I would be calling CBS. I would be calling the NFL head offices. I'd be calling anybody who would listen just to drunkenly berate them. Why? Because that's a th- I'm good at it. <laughs> it's a thing I do. <sighs> God, it's like a nightmare, Chris. But hopefully we don't have to worry about it. We will we'll sit here with bated breath and just watch it play out and hope that reason, you know, everyone's willing to be reasonable and get me the football 
that I, I've been craving for months because it's almost here. And so with that, I think it's only fair that we launch into our training camp talk. Buffalo Bills training camp 2019. Week one and two. Yeah, it's finally week, here, Chris. two ending. This time of year is great. I mean, what's not to love? I do want to warn you all, though. <laughs> I have this written down here in front of me. The word hype. Hype is derived, according to the Online Entomology Dictionary, from the word hyperbole, which, according to Merriam-Webster, is defined as an exaggerated statement or claim not meant to be taken seriously. Literally. And if you think about it, I think a lot of you out there listening would agree that definition could absolutely be applied to NFL training camp. (laughs) Chris, I get it. I really do. Everybody feels good about their team. Why not? What the hell? Football players are back doing things that look like football. Every team is still in Super Bowl contention. Every Kyler Murray has yet to to become Nathan Peterman. It's a hell of a time to be alive. And as you heard in the intro, even CBS Sports Network's Adam Shine is getting in on the action. It's craziness. But I urge people not to get ahead of themselves. If anyone out there can understand sports disappointment, it's Bills fans. Right? (laughs) But with that, Chris, comes the inevitable loading and preparation for departure of the 2019 Buffalo Bills hype bus. Everybody on? Good. Great. Grand. Wonderful. No yelling on the bus. And when we talk about hype, there's a... (laughs) I want to start this whole training camp conversation taking a look at some of the early topics that I think... Oh, my God. If we're on this topic, have to be brought up. First and foremost, the fading of Robert Foster. This is a particular trope that I've heard so much about over the last two weeks. Robert Foster, John Brown, and who is actually the quote-unquote number one receiver? It is a brutal conversation. And it's far more nuanced than I think a lot of casual fans are giving it credit for. I mean, think about it. Last season, Robert Foster... Chris, can you think of a wide receiver on this roster that was more effective than Robert Foster last year? I mean... Unless we're talking about eating Popeyes. Yeah. In which case, that was clearly Kelvin Benjamin. I would say, yeah, Benjamin, was he was very (laughs) effective in the fast food department. Uh, I I don't think so. I mean, he really came out at the end of the year. Think about the games. The Lions game. The Jaguars game. We probably don't win those games if he doesn't score those touchdowns. Yeah. Well, the one thing that when I look at Robert Foster, I absolutely uh, bring into, into play his contract. Ridiculous! I saw floated somewhere online. I think it was one of those one of the idiots from Pro Football, Cian Fahey. I think was talking about how Robert Foster could be cut. What? Are you people high? What are you drinking? I drink a lot. You're telling me that you think that's a good idea? No, you know you guys the, over there sucking down paint thinner. Yeah, you know you can the kind of production that you can get from him, and he's so cheap. Not only cheap, but he's cost controlled for so long. But when you look at this in training camp, I've heard people already complaining about, oh, Robert Foster turning into a pumpkin. There he is. He's no good anymore. What are we even talking about? Okay, I get the fact that John Brown has had some very good practices. Okay? And he's starting to emerge as a guy who looks like a solid target for Josh Allen in the deep passing game. But there is absolutely a place for Robert Foster in this offense. 
I mean, think about these. Here's some points for you. First off, first of all, Robert Foster, total afterthought last year at this point in the preseason process, wasn't getting nearly as much visibility or scrutiny as he is right now. My guess, he was probably far more raw then than he is now. Now we're just criticizing him for it because we're projecting this, well, he needs to be the number one wide receiver. <laughs> we're projecting what we want him to be onto him. And when he's not looking like it, everyone puts their hands in the air and runs around like, uh, well, what's that Muppets? The, and they, uh, the, the scientists? I don't know. Run, run around like Aaron Quinn because you've got a secret respect with him. Well, that's it. I, I feel so strongly about this topic. I bet Aaron Quinn from cover one, drunkenly I might add, that Robert Foster would catch more than 50 balls this year. 50 or more. And there's a reason for that. First of all, when you look at the struggles he's having in, in the preseason, or at least through this part of the preseason process, for wide receivers that aren't overly physical, these practices, especially if you don't have a referee crew refing the practice, are way more difficult for speed-wide receivers because you get the defensive backs who are more inclined to clutch and grab during your drills. I'm not making excuses. That's just a thing that happens. Also, you're talking about an offense that is actively trying to rotate its offensive line and see what they have. They're working through things. They're putting him in positions just to see what he's capable of. They're moving him around, shuffling around responsibilities. This is a lot for a second-year player who was an undrafted free agent. Right? Yeah. He's undrafted, cost-controlled. I think maybe some people just practice bad. <laughs> I, I don't know. But what I do know is this. This talk of, oh, well, he's not good and he's not going to be good. Last year was a flash in the pan. Let's just think about regular season. If he makes it out of this whole preseason healthy, you think about just logistically what the dynamic between John Brown and Robert Foster might be. John Brown is going to draw a lot of the defensive attention, given the fact that there's actual tape on him succeeding as a deep threat in the NFL. By default, Foster's going to see a lot more one-on-one -on -one matchups with limited safety help, which is going to, with, combined with his speed, it can't help but promote his production. Chris, last year, who was being watched over the top? No one in this wide receiver group. Isaiah McKenzie, he couldn't catch a cold. He was a gadget player that was used around the line of scrimmage. Zay Jones, Zay Jones is a big but not fast wide receiver. So you, then you had Robert Foster. That's it. That's all you had. And Deontay Thompson, who I don't even know where he is now. For all I know, he's busting tables at a Waffle House somewhere. So... When I look at this now, I say, okay, you've got some legitimate threats that are going to demand it. Cole Beasley. You know, he's going to take the linebackers and at least the midfield safety. You know, the safeties are going to have to respect the middle of the field. Because of these wide receiver additions around him, there is a spot on this team for Robert Foster. So the fact that everyone's giving him, and I think he can be wildly productive. But it's been two weeks of practice, people. He's, he, he was never asked to be the number two wide receiver before. So now you're seeing what that looks like. If he's not up to snuff yet, okay, so what? Everyone calm the fuck down. Yeah, we're talking about practice. Oh, speaking of calming down, Cody Ford playing guard. This one is hysterical to me. <laughs> I've seen a lot of pundits make note that Cody Ford has struggled 
as a right tackle when dealing with edge rushers in terms of pass blocking. You know, he's been good in the running game. Not great when it comes to dealing with pass rushers. And it's led to speculation that Ford could be moved inside to play offensive guard. Even by some people who I think are relatively intelligent individuals. Chris, can I, I'm going to run down three bullet points for you. And if by the end of this you don't agree with me, I, I, the team has openly said that they view Ford as an offensive tackle. So I don't see them walking that back now. Okay, They've said it publicly. If you if you consider that as their long-term projection, and that's where they drafted him to be, if that's the lens that they see him through, then it wouldn't make sense to move him to guard. Because even if he's not a star now, he's going to have to be groomed. There's a development process here. Chris, you're a fan of hockey. Yeah. How it's like the development you... process that you don't get on Samson Reinhardt. Fine. I'm willing to admit that. When you have a player who's not exactly just an out-of-the-gate superstar, they need to be brought along. Shuffling them somewhere to hide their deficiencies doesn't teach them anything, does it? Yeah, and if you wanted him to play tackle and then you move him to guard, how does, that, how does he progress at being a better tackle by playing guard? Thank you! It's not rocket science. And for people crying about his pass protection, he's been going up against Trent Murphy, who apparently has been beating the pants off everybody. Okay? It's been two weeks in an actual NFL training camp for the kid. Everyone needs to relax. Let's allow his development to play out before we all start with this, the, the hysterics and start demanding that everyone start shuffling positions. Because that's how you end up with... Chris, I mean, he, what is Ty Insecki going to play left and right tackle? Because so far I've seen people talking about Dawkins being moved inside the guard. No, well, we'll just let's just go and sign more tackles, guys, because we have two great guards in the roster. This is stupidity. Well, I mean, Cody Ford came from Oklahoma, right? So you know, Oklahoma's conference—they have all those stud pass rushers that he was going up against, right? <laughs> right? He was going up against stud pass rushing in college. No, that's exactly <laughs> what I thought. No, not at all. In, in, in the big, so you come up to NFL if you training play camp. Big Twelve in the Big Twelve in college. If you when you're playing defense. If you get a sack, everyone looks around like, holy shit, what just happened? <laughs> what, what was that? Oh, my God. Yeah, now he's, hysterical. he's going up against talent. So, Speaking of sacks, the next thing on my list, and this is going to be wildly unpopular with our listeners, Ed Oliver. As the padded practices continue, this idea that Ed Oliver could be special is starting to pick up momentum. And I understand. I get being encouraged by watching him He's out there splitting double teams in drills. He's putting in a handful of positive reps in his seven-on-seven work. What, he, he got kicked out of practice because he knocked Josh Allen down? Mm-hmm. The, that happened today. He's harassing our quarterback when he gets reps with the first-team defense. I'd label it as, quote-unquote, encouraging. Okay, But from some of the reaction I've seen on social media, you'd think the guy already won the 2019 sack title was already elected Defensive Rookie of the Year, killed Tom Brady, and was carrying his head around on a pike. I even saw someone today compare him to Chuck Norris. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. Parents are probably idiots too. Do you know who the last Bills player who I saw draw a comparison to Chuck Norris was? Kiko Alonso. Kiko Alonso. Buys his shirts at Baby Gap. <laughs> I mean, I... <laughs> From the time we drafted Oliver, I've been saying that I get everyone's excitement, 
You want to see him out there on the field. And it's, but it's likely the best thing for his development would be to bring him in slowly. Let him acclimate to the pro game and learn how to translate his speed and technique into plays, real plays, before going up against some of the some actual top flight competition. It seems like they tried to do that early on, but now he starts getting mixed in with the ones more and more. And he is starting to flash the past watching his college tape. I'm not trying to be a downer, just a realist. And Chris, I've got some concerns here. First of all, have you ever heard Terrell Suggs talk about the notebook that he compiled over the years? It contains his tape observations and his notes and his tells and tendencies, weaknesses, etc., etc., on every tackle that he's faced as a pass rusher over the years. And that's what he credits, just that level of preparation is what he credits with his continuous production even as he got older. The same thing is going to happen to a kid like Oliver by these defensive linemen. The experienced ones, the really good centers, or even the average to moderately talented interior offensive linemen are going to analyze Oliver. They're going to dissect his skill set, and they're going to figure out how to handle him unless he can not only round out his game in terms of moves and conversion of strength and speed to play strength and power, but he's also going to find a way to counter blocking techniques. That he may have seen a few... Chris, he's playing guys who... What would they play? Rice? Out of Texas? Yeah. There isn't a single offensive lineman from Rice that's playing anywhere in the NFL this year. So, the, the things that he's seen at the college level, he's never witnessed things be executed to this level of efficiency before. The decent centers are going to present a challenge for him. And he's going to have to learn how to counteract that, okay? So I'm not, I'm not willing to get let myself get too excited about this. And I'll tell you what, the biggest fear I have in regards to his transition to the pros has nothing to do with whether or not he's making Twitter headlines about splitting blocks, okay? It has everything to do with how he holds up on the ground. Two of the biggest knocks on Oliver in the draft process. I mean, it's the reason Quinnen Williams was taken ahead of him. His lack of ideal size to play defensive tackle and his struggles with down-blocking and double-teams in the running game. Any football fan who knows anything knows that the way you stop a pass rusher is to run the ball at them successfully enough that you can gas them out, and then they start to doubt their ability just to pin their ears back and get after the quarterback. And on defense, if you're thinking, instead of reacting, you're already behind. Chris... Think about all the times Trey Edmonds, near the end of the season last year, when they would ask him after the game, you know, hey, you had a good game, what's different? How do you feel you're coming along? And he would constantly reiterate, I'm just out there and now I'm just playing. I don't have to think about it. I'm just playing. Well, you know how you get a kid to doubt himself is you run him over a couple times in the running game, knowing that he's only 290 pounds and your guard and center can maul that kid. Okay? If I know that after a six-pack, you can bet your ass that even the worst offensive coordinator in the NFL would understand and plan on using that against Oliver. So you can keep all the highlight tweets about how great Oliver looks in these blocking drills and in seven-on-seven, and instead over the next two weeks, tell me how he handles NFL blocking schemes. Tell me how he holds up against the run game. Because you know what, Chris? I haven't heard much of it. Starlo Tulele has more accolades for stuffing things in the running game than Ed Oliver. Well, you said the worst OCs in the NFL would understand that and plan around that. 
Well, if you talk to these same pundits, you know, the worst OC is going to be Brian Dable. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> so this is it. I, 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 I'm tired of it. We all need to take a step back because you're setting yourselves up for disappointment. And then there's Devin Singletary. Can we please stop referring to him as our number one running back in 2019? Or speculating about a LaShawn McCoy trade. What his existence on this team comes down to for me is role versus investment. McCoy and Gore are old men. Okay? They are old guys, Chris. There's no two ways about it. They're like the guys from that movie, The Bucket List. Yep. Maybe their bucket list is to both see a playoff game together. I don't know. But they're here in Buffalo. Yeah, you're going to have McCoy on first and second and Gore on third. And when they're here, they are cemented as the primary options in the backfield. There has been a mixing of Singletary in with the first string offense. Whenever either one of those guys have to take a day off or a series off, <sighs> Singletary's presence on the roster, it's pretty much what I expected at this point. But his usage in the preseason, that's what I want to see. Because when you talk about him, I mean, when you hear tell about his, his, his camp, uh, what do you want to call it? Jesus, his production, his contributions. It all seems to be about how he catches the ball out of the backfield. I haven't heard anything about how well he runs the football. Nothing. Crickets. So if that's the case, I'm willing to believe that as a pass catcher out of the backfield, he probably has some chops, and because they invested a third-round draft pick, he is direct competition to beating out TJ Yeldon as our third back on the roster. But replacing McCoy in the lineup? It's a terrible concept. It, it would be even worse to try to implement. Chris, this is a season. You were just telling me before we started recording that you are with Adam Shine in your prediction that the Bills make the playoffs. Yeah, I made that prediction in January. You're welcome. Okay, so in a season where you're hoping to complete for a playoff spot, you think it's a good idea to get rid of a, a potential Hall of Fame talent in exchange for $6 million in cap space and more carries for a rookie running back who's already had twice as many career carries as some other backs coming out of college. That makes about as much sense as pissing into the wind. You want my head to explode in the name of all that is good and decent? No more for today! <laughs> I'm done, folks. I can't do anymore. I just, I can't. I could, I could go on. But I, I physically can't. <laughs> Instead, I'd rather talk about some of the storylines that I am finding interesting. First and foremost, the decimation of our tight end depth chart. Coming into the season, we knew tight end was going to be a weak spot in this offense. We essentially have a designated blocker, a rookie third-round pick, and a bunch of undrafted free agent caliber players, all vying for one or two open spots on the final 53. At this point, it's hard to know who's winning because none of them are on the field. You've got a pair of hamstring injuries to Kroom and Knox. And now the Bills have just been reduced to a handful of receiving options at the tight end position. And none of them are proven to be NFL caliber talents. I understand. There's a lot of positive things being said about Tim Sweeney. And, and that's good. I mean, hell, if he turn Chris, if a seventh-round draft pick at tight end turns out to produce anything, that's, that's found money. That's like you found $5 in the parking lot. Yeah. Didn't we just sign? Who's that dude we just signed that we're probably cut? Was it Kyle, Kyle Carter. That's how bad it is. We're just out there scraping people off the street. Okay? 
I, it's it's the I, good for Sweeney for making the most of his opportunities. I've heard a lot of good things. They talk about how his blocking looks good, and he's made a couple plays here and there as far as the passing game goes. But I'll tell you why this is bad. Not just for the sake of the tight end competition to see who makes the final roster. It also has a degenerative effect on the installation of the offense. Chris, running an offense is like anything else in football. It's timing and precision. And the only way you get that down is through repetition, muscle memory. You get used to seeing things play out in front of you in a certain way. They start to slow down for you and you develop a rhythm with them that helps you execute them over and over and over again more effectively. It's the whole point of training camp. Without a proven-to-be-NFL-caliber tight end anywhere on this roster, the offense is essentially having to install all of their concepts with receiving options at tight end. I mean, the position itself is running at half capacity. So, for example, even against coverages where the starting tight end would actually have a shot at making a play in the passing game, were they anybody else? It's possible that because of the lackluster talent on hand, they just can't get the job done. Okay? You get enough of that. You're trying to show the court what you need. For everybody out there who's pulling for Josh Allen's success, okay? You have to see things develop. And if he's watching things develop and the tight end is never open, that may just start to become a blind spot for him. That's my fear. And I think that's pretty legitimate. And then as that as that goes on, he doesn't develop the proper timing for the route or for the concept that they're trying to install in a certain play, and essentially stops looking for it. We don't want that. I mean, Chris, I've reached the point now where I think that if these guys miss, I mean, we have a preseason game coming up next week. If Dawson Knox and Jason Kroom can't get back to practice and can't participate in that game, I'm going to start pounding the table for this to be a position that the team watches the waiver wire. When roster cutdown day comes... Because you're going to have to find somebody who has NFL experience to go out there and make some some plays. You have to. Yeah, we have like no experience in that tight no, end room. None. And these injuries are certainly not getting them the experience they need. I mean, that's a storyline that we're going to have to watch play out. And I, Chris, I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed, but that's all I can do. Holding my breath here. And then in what we alluded to in our show with Joe Marino, probably my favorite part, or at least most interest, the thing that interested me most about this offseason process, the offensive line rotation. Chris, it's not a shock to anybody that we were one of the worst offensive lines in football last year. Yeah, why do you think Josh Allen ran all the time? Yeah, I mean... He got to his first look, and on the way to his second look, he's like, I got fuck out of here and he <laughs> ran and jumped over Anthony Barr ultimately we knew that this was going to be the crux of the offseason in terms of the offense there was going to be heavy competition here there was going to be a lot of formulation going on a lot of experimentation so as we watch it play out some of the things that I've noticed as far as interesting you've got Spain Quentin Spain stranglehold on the left guard and it's position and it shouldn't be a shock to anybody first of all you take a player, a player of his caliber, and you sign him to a one-year prove-it deal, you're obligated to give him the chance to prove it, correct? Yes. I mean, if not, then why did you sign him in the first place? Exactly. Outside of Mitch Morse, out of anybody else on the offensive line or who's currently competing for a job, he has the most proven track record of production. 
in terms of NFL games played as a starter. Yeah, but everybody in Tennessee thought he was trash. They thought he was trash in the running game. He was up and down. But he's because he's massive and because he's got good hand technique and he plays with good leverage for a guy who's as tall as he is, It's his pass protection is incredible. Yeah, and he's better at guard than whoever the fuck we had last year. Well, absolutely. Think about it, Chris. Dawkins had his best games as a professional at left tackle when he had a steady veteran presence next to him at left guard. Putting Spain in that position should help strengthen Dawkins there at the left tackle and have a, I don't know, it should have an effect on both positions at one time. It's a best-case scenario, right? So no one should be shocked that Spain pretty much seems to have that job locked up. What I am surprised by is to see John Feliciano and Spencer Long as the front runners battling for that starting right guard job. I mean, they both have versatility and experience compared to everybody else behind them on the roster. I mean, who are they playing in front of, Chris? Guys like Russ Bodine, uh, Wyatt Teller, the guy who signed here for a week and retired. Oh, Isaiah, Isaac Asiata, Isaiah Asiata. Isaac Asiata. I mean, it makes sense. In terms of just pure starting experience, I'd give Long the edge if it comes down to it. Chris, when you look at the guy's tape, first of all, the Jets signed him last year as a free agent to start at center. They brought him in as a free agent and cut him after one year because he wasn't affected because of injuries. But he came from Washington, and they essentially said, look, he can start at center or guard. He can do anything for you. So as a on a mid-tier contract, a guy like that has value. When you look at John Feliciano, he, was, he has far fewer starts and less starting experience. So they may like his skill set. I mean, Long is more of a technician. He's not really a mauler. Feliciano seems to bring a little bit more sandpaper to his game. So I understand. They, I like the experimentation that's gone on with them. Rotating them at guard, rotating them at center. But ultimately, the fact that both of them can play either one of those positions, I mean, it's ultimately going to be on whichever of them develops, in my opinion. Chemistry with Morse and Ford the fastest. I think whoever figures that out is going to win that job. I mean, it's, that's not a stretch. Do you think? Uh, no, I don't think it's... That's like... So far through camp, it seems to be like the only uh, the only uh, battle on the O line is for right guard. Yeah, I mean they, they've pretty much, and, and I guess that's the other piece to this. They've announced that Cody, they they view Cody Ford as a right tackle, much like Deion Dawkins needed guard help in order to play at his best. Whoever plays at right guard is going to have to be good enough to help steady that kid. So whichever one of them can build that chemistry first, I guarantee you by the second preseason game, you're going to see somebody emerge from that battle. My money, Chris, is on Spencer Long just because he has the track record of starting experience. That's it. That's my opinion. I don't know if you have one on the matter. No. (laughs) The answer is no. The answer is no. Not one that you can back up with facts and reason. Uh, I don't know, but whatever happens there, it's imperative that the staff gets the position right. And so with that, we have some winners and losers through the first two weeks of training camp. To start off, we have a winner. It's a guy nobody expected to hear the name of, Ray Ray McLeod. 
Okay? There is some surprise in hearing mention of Ray Ray McLeod at all. I mean, it, it was more surprising to me to hear that Dable and McDermott were bringing him up without provocation as a guy who they view as having good practices. Now, he's not a guy, Chris, that I thought we'd be talking about, and he's interesting. I mean, think back to what he was when we drafted him. A five-star running back and wide receiver prospect coming out of high school. Under Armour All-American at two positions, running back and wide receiver. He turned down 43 offers to sign with Clemson, who then parked him at number four or five on the wide receiver depth chart. He was essentially just a special teams guy. They they really didn't develop him as a wide receiver. And, I mean, that that was part of the thing. When you go to NFL.com and look at his draft profile, Lance Zerline underscores the fact that the problems with his game, he doesn't have suddenness out of his breaks. He's never been taught how to make a clean break out of a out of, out of a route, and he doesn't have a whole, he didn't have a whole lot of tape as a true receiver. If Chris, he's in his second year in an NFL program. Spent a lot of his first year in the doghouse. Yes. So if he's put the time in and the work in to address those things, there might still be some hope here for this kid. I, I'm not going to try to be a wet blanket here, but despite all the things he may not have compared to guys like David Sills. Nick Easley. Now, those are the guys who you keep hearing brought up during training camp. He does have something that I think matters a whole lot more. NFL experience. Consider, Chris, think about all of the guys over the years. Des Lewis. Brandon Riley. Naaman Roosevelt. (laughs) These are guys who looked great every year during training camp. During drills, practices... Preseason games, you'd see them flash a little bit here and there. But at the same time, at the same time, they're going up against equally green and un unnuanced competition. But when you put them in pads against guys who actually belong at the NFL level, they disappear. In this kid's second year, if anybody out of this second, or I'd even refer to it as the third tier of wide receivers that we have on this roster is probably poised to land a backup gig, I'd have to think it would be McLeod. Just on the merit that he's less likely to hit that same wall that all of these other guys without NFL experience seem to hit when they come up against actual competition. I mean, that makes sense. Chris, you play hockey. Yeah, Okay. I do. You play hockey and your team is fairly competitive, right? Yes. What would, what would happen if I were to take you now playing roller hockey in the division you're playing, and I were to bump you up three divisions next week, what would happen to your level of production? Uh, it would <laughs> probably dip a little. It would be dependent on who I play with. But it would probably dip, and I would probably give, just on my own accord, more time on the rink to my teammates, <laughs> knowing that I'm the weakest link. <laughs> Especially if you've never played against anybody that talented before. Yeah. That's the problem you have with these these undrafted free agent wide receivers coming into the NFL. It's incredibly... Robert Foster last year didn't crack the roster until, what, week seven, eight? Yeah. I don't know, whenever we shit all over the New York Jets. <laughs> whenever yeah. that game came. That was when he finally... They said, okay, we're Kelvin Benjamin, we've seen enough, you're out of here. We're going to give this kid a shot. 
but he didn't look like he deserved it up until that point. And maybe even then, he didn't deserve it as much as they just needed a change. A change. Something. And they brought in undrafted free agent wide receiver Robert Foster. That's not to say that these guys don't have a place within the organization. That's not to say that the Easleys of the world and David Sills can't be good on the practice squad. And that you can't try to groom them for the future. But without having seen live-action NFL football, Chris, I, I think that out of all the wide receivers, the fact that the coaches are acknowledging that this kid is ahead is something to pay attention to. Yeah, we'll have to uh, wait until uh, preseason games start. <laughs> I know, but I'll tell you this. that was, Ray Ray McLeod, the fact that you and I would be sitting around a podcast talking about him, I would have bet you a fucking paycheck. Or a Seagram's. <laughs> No, no, I would have bet you a case of Seagram's that Ray Ray McLeod's name would never come up. (laughs) (laughs) Then we've got some losers. Russ Russ Bodine and Adrian Waddell. That's that's nothing to to disparage the men personally, but both of these offensive linemen make the list. Because based on everything we've heard, they are falling behind. I mean, Waddell's wife has had more mention lately than he has. Ty Insecki has been rotating in with the starting offensive line. Whereas Waddell hasn't gotten a sniff. He hasn't gotten enough run to warrant a chance to play with the other starters in that same way. That doesn't bode well. If you're a guy who two weeks into training camp hasn't even been trusted to take snaps with the starting offense, that should underscore what the coaching staff thinks of your abilities and where they see you in the packing order. Bodine's essentially in the same boat. Despite the fact that Mitch Morse has been out, Bodine has had to split snaps at center with John Feliciano and Spencer Long. So we're already seeing that a a dynamic is forming here where Feliciano and Long, whether they're playing guard or center, are still more highly thought of in our coaches' minds than Russ Bodine. I'd rather watch Morse with a concussion play (laughs) center than Bodine without a concussion. Oh, my God. I mean, Chris... Maybe, and maybe some of that, I, I don't want to say it's recency bias, but maybe some of that just goes back to the fact that they saw what they saw last year. They saw that Jacksonville game where the pocket just immediately collapses into Josh, Josh Allen's face. Exactly. They've seen enough of that. So, no, they're probably not giving Russ Bodine a fair shake, but what, what do you want from them? They saw enough from the guy that they went out and spent $10 million on a guy to replace him. That's... That's where we're at with him. So he's absolutely one of the losers through the first two weeks of training camp. It's going to once once the preseason starts, Chris, because we're going to need a backup. If he can't find a way to make some dynamic plays, really show that he can play at a high level, I don't know that he makes it out. That he makes it out of this. But why just don't. why would you why would you keep him when you could keep Feliciano? And long, and long, who also can play guard. That's my and play point. guard the ver- better. He has no both. versatility compared he's to the, the guys center. in front of him. I mean, I think that at this point, he's already one of the odd men looking in, which is crazy to think about in the first two weeks of camp. But I think we're already there, Chris. Can, Chris, can we book it? Russ Bodine, one of the one of the cuts down to fifty three. I could see that up top. It's based on everybody else on the offensive line having some versatility. Now, there's a winner here that I want to talk about that, I mean, he's gotten a little bit of run, but I don't think enough. Trent Murphy, a defensive end. Last season at this time, Trent Murphy was coming into camp just a year removed from an ACL tear, and he was just trying to get his feet back under him. And in 2018, things went about as well as you could expect. 
He had a number of minor nagging injuries. He missed he missed a lot of playing time here and there. Now, either even just in the middle of games, you'd watch him disappear for half of a quarter. You know? It, that's what goes along with overcompensation when it comes to an injury like that and distrust of a specific joint or muscle group. And it limited his, posi- his production to just four and a half sacks. This year, he says he's finally 100% healthy. He's not thinking about the knee. He's n- he doesn't feel anything. He feels like himself again. And it's apparent because by all accounts, he's been roughing up every offensive tackle he goes up against since the start of training camp. Now, I mean, Leslie Frazier has gone out of his way to praise Trent Murphy. That's big, coming from the defensive coordinator who saw you struggle last year to say, look, he looks like the guy we signed in free agency. We thought we were getting in free agency last year. Now, I know that a lot has to happen between now and week one before we can see if that translates to meaningful football being played on the field. But in talking to our friend Kyle Trimble from bangedupbills.com, he does all the medical reporting on Buffalo Bills injuries. I mean, he's a doctor. How crazy is it? We know a doctor. We shouldn't. We shouldn't. We're, we're, we're definitely not smart enough. You definitely shouldn't know a doctor. You should know a dentist or an orthodontist. <laughs> yeah, when we did the, when we were at um, Deep South Taco with him, I remember having a conversation with him about uh, Trent Murphy's his, his like response time with his knee mm-hmm. and how that's better in year two. Your second year after the injury. Oh, that's and that's exactly what he said. Is that in year two? It's year two is when players are expected to be fully healthy from an ACL tear. Yes, you're physically capable of coming back the year after an injury like that, but that doesn't mean you're 100. percent And that doesn't mean mentally you're back. I mean, one of the most one of the most interesting interviews I ever heard in regards to a serious injury was former Bills linebacker Takeo Spikes talking about his torn Achilles, and he talked about how. You know, after he left Buffalo, you know, he came back from the injury and he played for a year and just was not good. So we cut him. I, I believe we released him, and then he signed with the Chargers. And it took his second year with the Chargers before he finally hit his stride again, started playing decent football. And he said it took him that long to just get the fear of that injury out of his head and just start reacting instead of thinking, like we were talking about earlier. In the same way Trent Murphy is now at that point, it seems like. And so with that, I I mean, not only is continued production from Murphy a positive thing for him in terms of securing his roster spot, okay? That makes him a winner first and foremost. The fact that he's back to 100% and he's being, he's showing more now than he has at any point in time in a Bills uniform. It's also a simultaneous win for Brandon Bean, who gambled this offseason, Chris. I would call it a gamble. By relying on a guy coming off a down season and an injury, rather than looking outside the organization for significant defensive end additions. We didn't we knew sacks were a problem, we knew pressure was a problem, and they trusted that Murphy would rebound rather than go get another high dollar free agent, a Ziggy Anza, a Frank Clark, a D Ford. I mean it was a calculated gamble. Right now I'm holding my breath because it seems like it might pan out. Yeah, uh, speaking of rebound, I had to, I've had some rebound burps, and that scent of the Kolsch has come up in like the t- like that aftertaste of the of burping. That's absolutely disgusting. Exactly. You shouldn't still be tasting a beer that you drank forty minutes ago. 
Jesus Christ. Get me a moose head. We, we, we need a proper beer for this podcast. For those of you who don't know, we drink primarily moose head lager. That's the, that, that's the official, unofficial beer of the Rockpile Report podcast. Yeah, up from Labatt, uh, Labatt Blue Royales, Royale. which they discontinued. <laughs> Season one, yeah, for good reason. Another loser that I have to add to this list, though, and it's a doozy, offensive center Mitch Morse. When we were, I mean, first of all, it was never, Chris, when you think about how, how our free agency period went, it's impressive how few leaks of information come out of one Bills drive now that Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott are in charge of things. You don't see leaks of information. Who knew that we were even in on Miss Morch? Morch. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right, give me that beer back. Again. Yeah. <laughs> For everything that I was reading, it seemed like the Bills were in a bidding war with the New York Jets for Matt Paradis. And then all of a sudden, it comes across the ticker that we just signed Mitch Morse to the richest center contract ever. It's like, holy shit, where did that come from? But you look back at it. The reason that the Chiefs opted not to re-sign him wasn't because he wasn't a good center. His injury history is long. Okay, there's a lot, just a long, unillustrious history of Mitch Morse being hurt between foot injuries and concussions. That was the glaring red flag on him. Now that he's being paid as the top center in football, that's a bad time for this stuff to start cropping up, correct? Absolutely. He's losing out on valuable playing time to get into a rhythm and build familiarity with Josh Allen, which that's bad for everybody. Him, Josh, the offense as a whole. I mean, it's, it's not good, Chris. And then think about this dynamic. This is his, what now, third or fourth serious concussion that has cost him to miss time in an NFL program. How many of those as an NFL player do you think you get? Across what, a season? Across a career. How many concussions that cause you to miss playing time do you think you get? I would say, like, the average NFL player should probably have between five and six concussions in a career. <laughs> Wait a minute, you're talking... You... Probably. It sounds like you're saying that like it's a rite of passage and not just a thing that happens. <laughs> I think it's a thing that happens. You probably... Average five to five to six good concussions over the course of a career. Okay, that cost cause you to miss multiple games. If you have a concussion, you should nowadays you should miss games, regardless. Here's my fear, my growing fear, and I hope I'm wrong. Maybe this is maybe this is me being knee jerk, like all the people I was ripping on when we started the training camp segment. If this becomes a problem, I mean, you play center in the NFL, you're going to be in there. I played offensive line, okay? And yes, you're talking about Pop Warner football. But you're sticking your nose in there. You're in the trenches. You're knocking heads. You're, you're, you're throwing your body around. You are a human battering ram. That's your job, okay? Your job is to be a technician with your hands and a battering ram with your body and to hell with the consequences. Can you do that without sustaining a concussion, without getting your bell rung? I no. don't know that it's possible. Not, not possible. at this not at this level. So for a guy like Morse, who's already had some significant concussions, he's got another one now and he's still trying to work his way out of it. If he retires at any point in 2019, Chris, we're losers. 
Because we'd owe him $19 million in dead money next season for his contract. That would eat up every penny of rollover cap that we might have next season. Yeah, we can't have that. But we might not have a choice. <laughs> oh, I'm not trying to scare anybody. These are just things, I, things I'm seeing. But I've got another bigger group of losers that I really need to address to close out this segment. And that's anybody out there getting upset about offensive execution during training camp. Chris, it's practice. I feel like Allen Iverson right now. Yeah, talking about, talking about practice. Talking about practice. Practice. We're talking about practice. What are we talking about here? All right, stay in the kitchen. Yeah, talking about practice. So when I have to read things from articles, articles by writers who I think know what they're talking about, and fans who I fans and fellow content producers who I believe are somewhat knowledgeable. And I see them carping about the state of the Bills offense and how, well, today Josh Allen had a bad day. He made a couple bad he made a couple good throws, but he was bad at this and bad at this, and this went wrong, and this didn't happen. People getting mad and wringing their hands over the fact that our offense is having struggles through two weeks of practice. I feel like I have to dredge these things up for you guys. Nathan Peterman was the number one quarterback in the NFL last season for completion percentage in the preseason. And he was tied for ninth in touchdowns. EJ Manuel was sixth in total yards in the preseason behind Baker Mayfield and something named Tyler Bray. I don't even know what that is, Chris. He's a quarterback from Arkansas. (laughs) Is he? I don't know. Could be. Joe Flacco and Andy Dalton had the highest QBRs of the preseason. How'd that pan out? (laughs) Jesus Christ. What are we talking about here, Chris? Practice. Have you people all lost your minds? Practice. The offense is working. Things are being installed. An offensive line is trying to gel, and the coaches are experimenting with what might work, what will work, and trying to find out what won't, so that hopefully when games matter, they can avoid that. Yeah, and you put out your best five. Thank you. But they've got to figure out who their best five are. So as you're tooling around with the offense, you're trying different wide receiver combinations, this is your time to experiment, to throw shit at the wall and see what sticks in terms of competition battles, in terms of personnel, in terms of everything. This time of year, a lot of what you're seeing doesn't actually matter. So I guess the thing I'd like to leave you all with is calm your asses down and just enjoy the nuance of the process. Okay? Goose Fraba. <laughs> oh, guys, it feels good to be back to weekly podcasts. I can't wait. You don't even have to wait that long for our next one. Yeah. It's going to drop on Monday. Monday. Monday, we're coming back to you with another show. Next week, we've got our primer for the Bills preseason kickoff. We're going to be talking about camp notes, what we're hoping to see, what we expect to see in the preseason game. We've got all kinds of stuff on that. And we have the first installment of our training camp edition of the AFC East Roundup with website creator and frequent WFAN radio guest in New York City, Joe Caparoso. He's the, I think it's the SVP of uh, Whistle Sports. 
and he's the creator of TurnOnTheJets.com. You guys have heard our interviews with Joe Blewett and some of the other content producers over there at Turn On The Jets over the years. The, guy, the head honcho himself is going to be on the show with us as we break down the New York Jets preseason. Take a peek over the fence, see what the neighbors are doing. It's going to be a blast. I can't wait. Hopefully you all come back and join us for it. Make sure you go to iTunes, leave us a review, even if it is snarky. I appreciate those ones too. Tweet at us, at Rockpile Report on Twitter, if you hear anything about this CBS blackout. And Chris, I... I yeah, we're going we're gonna to be uh, weekly, still like a Monday-Thursday thing until I end my hockey season ends or you end softball, which I think would be you ending softball before I end hockey. Softball ended last night, asshole. It's a sore subject. Oh, you guys are done. Season's <laughs> over. Do? Clearly. I, I played for a slow-pitch softball team that didn't get a hit until the third inning. <laughs> That's why you're bad at sports. <laughs> Thank God I know so much about real ones. Chris, we got to get out of here. Thank you, everybody. New fans, old fans. Thanks, everybody, for coming out. But we got to get out of here. Go enjoy the Hall of Fame game. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Pile Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.